and not a lot of things that embarrass me, but uh, in this instance, everything that happened before the record button was pushed has now never happened and it will never be uttered again. Unless I actually do it, at which point, then maybe we'll have to have a podcast about it. So it is not written, so it shall not be done. <laughs> uh, it's been a long time since we did a bottom of the barrel. And it feels like a long time. I think it's been two or three weeks. It's been a while. Uh, we recorded one right before you left for Romania, um, which I kind of do. Like, I know that we talk about absolutely nothing on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and we prefer it that way. Apparently, the people who listen to it also prefer that we talk about nothing. Right. Um, we argue about nonsensical things. And then the people that listen send me emails a week later saying that they were yelling at their radio because we're idiots and can't remember what movie is what. We are idiots, and that's true. I like to think of myself as a rational, well-adjusted adult male. <laughs> also an idiot. You know that's not true. <laughs> Um, I can't believe you can say that with a straight face. Um, so Aaron went to Romania to ride a two and a half horsepower micro bike across a thousand kilometers of beautiful gypsy countryside, discovering that Eastern Europe is in no way the same as Western Europe. You know, uh, well, let me say this. One, Romania was way more European that I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be much more like Slavic. Uh, like a Bulgaria type situation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was actually like the language is very Italian uh, sounding and Italian influence. We have literally lost all of our Italian listeners and at this moment. No, seriously. Like David Delanave was with us. He speaks fluent Italian and anyone that didn't speak English, it was, there was a good chance that he was able to converse with them in Italian. Does he speak Italian third best? Is it like, of course, I speak Italian the best. No, no, he, his parents are Italian immigrants. He, like, grew up speaking Italian. He's a... Grazie. He's an Italian citizen. He's dual citizen. Really? Yeah, he's dual citizen. I didn't citizenship. know this at all. And uh, he speaks, like, fluent Italian. Well, so. I think it's a tribute to all Italians that their language has so many commonalities with a shifty, thieving, gypsy population of Romania. <laughs> Actually, I've never been to Romania, and the two people I know from Romania were quite nice, although I held onto my wallet tightly when they were around. I don't know that we've been any gypsies, but I may not have known. It's an entire nation of gypsies. When they're not stealing wallets in Paris, they go home to Romania. They hang out in Romania. <laughs> people were very friendly. Um, you know, we got there probably a day early just because of some miscommunications about the, the schedule and like when things were starting. Imagine um, miscommunication. Stoney convinced us to take a walk over the border into Ukraine. For the record, um, because Aaron's so good, he takes for granted that everyone knows who Stoney is. Stoney is a, well, all right, yeah, he's me, a 50 year old, he has 50th birthday, right? Yeah, he has yeah, 50th is, birthday while we were on the trip. Yeah, and he's actually, did you know how that went down? You know, his wife messaged me and yeah, was yeah. like, what's something really cool I can do for Stoney? And I was trying to think of something really cool to do for him. Dude, the timing and, was perfect. Well, you have no idea because Katie Pate messaged me and was like, how the fuck do I get out of this Romania trip? I have important life things to do. I'm and a little bummed that Katie didn't come. I feel like I may, maybe Katie was bummed. I don't know. But at the time, she had one of those buyer buyer's remorse moments where it was like, 
I, I was guilted into signing up for this thing, but my real life is really fucking pressing on me right now and I can't do it. And she's like, how do I get out of it? And I was kind and I was like, well, Katie, I'll ask Aaron if we can find somebody to fill that spot. And I was thinking to myself the whole time, ha, 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 you sucker, you're going to get stuck with this because no one's going to go on it. And then Stoney's wife messaged me and I was like, oh, do I have the perfect opportunity for Stoney? So Stoney finished GORUCK selection at like what, 47? Yeah, 47 or 48. Which is a, it's a very small and um, very, I, I'm, I'm going to hesitate to do word elite, but long suffering. Exclusive. Yeah, it's an exclusive organization or a group of get people. Yeah. Who um, yeah, I mean. Stoney trade for probably three years. Did uh, he really? Three or four, well, because he, he passed on his third attempt. Okay. So his first attempt, he did really well, and uh, I would need to ask him, but I think he dropped at like the halfway mark, and I think there were some some comments from some of the cadre that were like, Stoney could have finished. And well, that'll put doubt in you. <laughs> the second the second attempt was down uh, on the beach, and he he left like four hours in. He was like, "How long is Gorok selection? I think it's forty eight hours." Uh, maybe a little bit longer. 72? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's got to be longer. Maybe f between 48 and 72. I know that I know. essentially I've always laughed. Okay, so I was a Gilroy Cadre for four years, and I enjoyed every event that I did. I love the community of people that I met. Um, I had a great time. I mean, seriously, it's one of the the prouder windows of four years I've ever done just because, like, at the time, I, I was really proud of, like, my peers as cadre, and I really love the community I met uh, in general. I mean, there are a few shitheads, of course, but... Um, Always the case. I, I definitely loved leading events and talking to participants that were like... Because in case no one knows, a GORUCK event <laughs> is a 12 to... 24, I guess there's six to 24 hours, depending on which one you get. Cause there's like three different levels, like how long they are and the intensity. There are team building events where random people who probably don't know each other come together carrying a weighted backpack and they just wander around a random city with a special operations guy leading them and putting them through their paces, just kind of like doing group exercises, uh, hazing them essentially in a lot of ways and walking a lot of miles. Um, no sleep, very little rest. Um, it's, you know, uh, a mental and physical trial. And for a lot of people, it's a huge deal. And GORUCK selection is kind of like the big grand poobah of that. And the dissonance in the community is that people who go to GORUCK selection are universally not special operations personnel. <laughs> and every cadre of the company has to pass a... They have to do a challenge, um, which is a 12-hour event um, in order to qualify as a cadre for the event. 12 to 18 is kind of what it wraps out at. But they don't have to complete GORUCK selection because the standard line from all GORUCK cadres, well, I, I already passed a selection that mattered. And that elitism trickles over into the participants who are convinced that because GORUCK selection is so miserable that every GORUCK cadre could just walk right through GORUCK selection. And I used to laugh because there's a reason that no GORUCK cadre have ever completed GORUCK selection, and it is because I don't think any of them could make it through it. Like, that's not a challenge. Dude, our, our friend Jared, who was a selection cadre, was like, there's no fucking way I'd want to do that. No, and it's, it's literally, I, I tell the participants all the time, like, I got selected on a fluke 
because I am a total piece of shit. <laughs> no, I mean, like at the time I got selected, it was definitely the hardest thing I'd ever done in my life. And like the feeling of, um, the feeling of, um, success or, or the accomplishment that I had, I've, I've never really felt anything so big in my life. Like my feet, like the soles of my feet were falling off. Like I had pushed myself well beyond what I could ever have thought I would do over a course of 24 days. I did two events a day and they were, they get increasingly harder. Not that the events get harder, but your body gets broken down. You don't get regular sleep. There's a lot of question marks. It's kind of like a, it is a psychological and a physical event. You don't know um, you know, you're constantly being assessed, but you don't know what you're being assessed on. The cadre don't talk to you at all. They just take notes. And then at the end, it's like, well, were you a go or a no go? Like you don't know. And a lot of people can't take that and they just quit. Go rock selection is all of those events. The two events a day for 24 days shoved into like less than three days. And there's like no breaks. There's no rest. It's all just like, it's, there's a reason people have organ failure in the event. It's there's, there's not, let me just say this, Jason McCarthy, the owner of GORUCK may have developed a brilliant backpack related cult of which I give him golf claps for, but he definitely wasn't in the army long enough to understand what a risk assessment was. So when he put together the idea of GORUCK selection, I believe that anyone who is in a position of authority in the army and saw such a plan would lose their minds and be like, Oh my God, people are going to die. We can't do this. But that's not because it's like a great idea. <laughs> it's because only the hardest and dumbest people can survive. I well, bring to you. I don't, I don't think Stoney's dumb. Stoney. Um, no, I love Stoney's Stoney. not a dumb guy. No, I mean, not dumb in the sense that people are unintelligent. I mean, dumb in the sense that there is a, there is a brain switch that most humans have that when they are in pain says, do not continue, stop doing what you're doing. Everyone that I've met um, that completed Gorex selection can turn that brain switch off. Like they're like, oh, this is terrible. I should. And then at that point, dude, this is like power down. There's no quit. Like they're not like, man, I shouldn't do this. Like before they get to that point, there's like a switch gets flipped and then they just go into autopilot mode for like 48 hours. Nothing anybody says bothers them. All the pain is just like channeled into like them being beaten it, as kids. I mean, Sto you know, Stoney's a very driven individual, obviously. Um, oh, dude, he's an amazing artist too. Yeah. He's an awesome artist. He loves learning. You know, he's, he's just not all the things that you would think about like a, someone that would pass that type of event you know, relevant in like the other aspects of his life in the sense that, you know, he, like he's not going to be watching TV. He's going to be learning a new skill like on his time off. Or, or Like when he took his, his randomly hodgepodge, uh, like it's an Isuzu four cylinder diesel powered, uh, muscle car and drove it from Canada yeah, I mean, to Florida on a whim. Is, that thing's amazing. No, it's super cool. It was even the, better to know that he made half the trip down here with the lash all wrong the engine's totally timed wrong and he was wondering why he can't like drive it up hills and stuff <laughs> and he gets here and he's like oh i can't i cannot do the quaint charming stony canadian accent it's very lovable he's awesome no uh, he is he's a fucking know, great dude of all the guys that went on the trip there were four of us i've known stony the longest he built a hot rod for me 15 years ago at this point maybe um did you know francev before no, because he built a car for Francev too, right? I don't. I don't know if he did or not. I know Stony 
before either one of us um, really done anything else that would have been involved with any of the other people. Like Stoney, in fact, well, bring this all back around maybe to, to tie it together. Um, the reason I did a Go Ruck challenge was because of my friend Dan, um, who you know. Uh, Recruiter Dan, he's going to love that I call him that. <laughs> you know what? He's actually, as of this moment, not Recruiter Dan anymore. I would um, like to go on record as as much as I love Dan. He seems like a really stand-up guy who I've known only in passing. He will always be Recruiter Dan to me because that's how I met him. And it's, it's Lieutenant Colonel Dan. Yeah, that's fine. Lieutenant Colonel Recruiter Dan. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, I was talking to Stoney at the time. You know, I went up to do uh, Gorak Challenge in Chicago, which is where I met Brent. Okay. Because he was he the cadre? Yeah. Nice. And uh, a bunch of friends of ours, we grew up in the Chicago suburbs, we're, we're going to do it. I flew back to Chicago. You had no idea what you're getting into, did you? Fucking no one else showed up. <laughs> oh, no way. Really? <laughs> yeah. So I did it by myself. And uh, yeah, I talked to Stoney about it. Stoney was like, I'm not going to drive down to Chicago for it, but like, I'm going to do a different one. So like, he signed up for a different one. And that became, you know, his foray into the world of GORUCK. But in any event. I, I deeply, it's funny, man. I came on to GORUCK as Brent was leaving. Like, my first real cadre event was um one of brent's last in dc mm -hmm. and lou was there and it was this this kind of impromptu i don't even think it was a real event um like i don't think it was sponsored by the company like i don't think it was like an online registration thing uh maybe it was i mean it was i was allowed to go there and lead like i drove up there with um with, one, with another guy to mm -hmm. lead it and um it was hilarious because it seemed as though it was an impromptu farewell to Bo, which leads me down a different topic of conversation before we come back to Romania, which is I loved that GORUCK became more professional as I was a cadre there where it was like, you know, cool, like, hey, like, hey man, like I should treat these people with like dignity and respect and like be metered in how I dish out punishment and like there are things that seem extreme but i'm not going to humiliate or objectify the people i missed Bo so much like when i went to that dc event his going away one, he was so drunk which is i guess the reason he did not continue working at the company <laughs> but he's, he's a, a wild man his ability to pontificate like he, yeah. that dude could wax poetic on stuff. I remember thinking like when I, when I first heard about the company, I was like, I don't want to work for that thing. It's stupid. Like, it's really dumb. Why would I want to do that? A guy I worked with was like, yeah, my buddy works for this company and he's trying to get me to work there. And I'm like, no, nah, I don't want to do that. And then when I found out Lou was like the lead cadre, I was like, oh man, I know Paul really well. Like maybe, maybe it doesn't suck that bad. Paul's a cool dude. And then I looked on the website and I saw these, like super epic speeches by Bo. Oh yeah. I mean, they were good. Dude, he went off. Dude, he would just say things and I'm like, man, this guy's eloquent as fuck. And like just and you know, like he is now living this uh wild international contractor dream with like the heaviest gold chain I've ever seen and on a, a human. And a fur coat. <laughs> and a fur coat. <laughs> well, anyway, getting but, back 
That's how, I mean, that's how, <laughs> that is how all of us really met. The glue that holds us together was a bunch of stupid human tricks. And yeah. I'm glad that Stoney celebrated his 50th birthday with you in Romania Dude, it's, on tiny bikes. It's super cool. Uh, it's cool that he came out there. Ryan Peters also came with us and uh, David Delanave. We had, we had a, a really solid group. Um, I think that Ryan Peters is, uh, is the world's most dedicated reserve firefighter and serial entrepreneur. He's awesome. Yep. I think that, so this event, I'll, I'll tell you more about it, but like it wasn't uh, a, like a physical challenge in the same way, you know, where that, you know, anyone was like, I, I can't do it anymore or something like that. But it was really long days. And how many days was it? The seven, race? It ended up being seven days. But you could have done it in six, right? Yeah. Um, so we left at like 11 a.m. on a Saturday, and we finished at 3 p.m. the following Saturday. Was, so, just so I can clarify, because I, I, feel, I feel like the Adventurists. It was Sunday. Sunday. The Adventurists is the organization that puts it on, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like they purposefully do a reasonably poor job of explaining exactly what's going to happen. Yeah, for sure. I, I think that. So Sign up, get donations. There's some shtick to it, right? Like. And I actually filled out my, my like feedback survey for them today. You know, part of the shtick of the event is that you're doing it on like underpowered and like poorly constructed vehicles. And there's two reasons for that. Well, vehicles also that were not made for Western body types. Like uh, they're meant to be ridden by 95 pounds. Or like, I think really kids, they're like kids toys. That is something that a Western person would say. Those are the, those are real means of transportation for a 95 pound Vietnamese man. (laughs) Maybe, maybe. Uh, But I think that part of the shtick is that like, you know, it's going to break down. And the point of it breaking down is that, Hey, now you get to like interact with, the, the local, you know, you got to like find the farmer that can help you fix the thing. Um, well, it's, and, like, let's break that down real quick. So like you guys, you signed up online, yeah. you filled out your application form. The initial part is well, to raise money for a charity too, right? Uh, you're supposed to raise money for a charity, although it's kind of like loose as far as exactly how that's structured. Um, to me, the whole thing was like, I love Top Gear and I... I was like, dude, this is a fucking Top Gear episode that you get to live. Like, do some crazy shit in another country. Is winning the race important? No, because it's not really a race. Like, there isn't a route. I'm already suspicious. And you're not. Sounds like communist bullshit. No, you leave at the, you all leave at the same time, like a race. And it doesn't matter who crosses the line first. No, like the, the finish line is open for a window. If you get there early, you just wait for like, in fact, we got there early because we, we're passing by the finish line. We're like, man, we've got a couple extra hours. We're going to go to this like giant blast furnace that apparently is like a cool tourist thing. What are they blasting there? I assume it's like cast iron foundry or something like that. Cool. Uh, I don't know because we didn't make it because we were like half a kilometer away from the thing. And I see David Delanave like almost fucking wipe out, like going around this turn that was like, there's no reason he should have wiped out. Right. And we all pull over, and he's like, I got a fucking flat tire. Oh, God. Dude, we were half a kilometer from the finish. It was just like, fucking go to the finish line. And he rolled into the finish line with, like, the tire, like, coming off the rear. But it didn't matter because no one was there. Well, we parked it, and then when he rolled into the finish line, 
people were there. Oh, but, oh. Uh, oh, wait, this is the final. This is so, when you actually finished. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I mean, okay, okay, okay. I mean, we I got, thought you were saying when you went by the finish line early. The finish line was at a castle. Oh. He got, yeah, and so he got a flat tire when we were driving by it on the way to this blast furnace. We are going to loop ah, back. Okay. Right? We're like, hey, we're here early. Let's go past the finish line, go to the blast furnace, and then we'll loop back and, like, be here when the finish line opens. But then he got a flat tire as we were basically passing the finish line. So it was like, fuck it, let's just park the bikes here. Like, And then you caught a cab like, to the furnace? No, no, no. And then we just fucking hung out. We just had lunch. Did you guys so, camp every night? We didn't camp any night. Um, Do you stay in luxurious four-star hotels? Definitely not. Uh, we stayed out most of the time outside of cities. In fact, the only time on the trip that I was really sketched out and really felt unsafe was there was one night that we went into a really cool city called Sigiswara and that has like this German citadel at the top of the city. Um, it was really rad, like really cool church, like walled city, whatever. Um, but the only way to get into it from where we were was by taking like 10 kilometers of like legit highway, fucking two lane highway. And dude, driving, like driving on the side of this road on these little bikes and just fucking semis passing you at like fucking 120 kilometers an hour. And because the road so heavily traveled by semis and it was warm outside, like the edge of the road had this like six inch crown on it. Oh right? yeah. So the sun's going down. It's like, it's getting really hard to see and you want to ride on the edge of the road, but it's really hard to ride on the edge of the road because of the crown. And these bikes have eight inch wheels. So there's like no gyroscopic stability to the bike at all. I mean, you really have to. That sounds like some Bruce Wayne shit. You have to balance that shit. Okay. Um, I'm. I mean, my point is that if you've ridden a motorcycle, you know that there's like the momentum of the motorcycle keeps the bike upright. You know, and with these things, there's none of that. Like, you know, if you lose your balance at all, the bike just immediately tips over. Does it feel like? Did you feel like a bear on a unicycle? Mm, I have to say, we all thought that bikes were bigger than we thought they were going to be. We also all thought the bike quality was way shittier than we thought it was going to be. And our expectations were pretty low. In 2009, we uh, were presented with a similar problem in Afghanistan, which was that we wanted to get off the roads that were seated with IEDs. And we thought that it would be really cool to get horses or, you know, like Afghan mules, whatever the fuck was going to show up. Yeah. We went to a bunch of different muleers, like horse guys from Afghanistan, and we, like, tried to figure out. And apparently, we're not the first people who had this thought because they understood that we were Americans and had infinite money. And they basically brought these, like, these, like, these are these, like, flea-bitten nags, and they can go anywhere in Afghanistan. It's, uh, for five horses, it's, like, $25,000 a month, and if one <laughs> horse dies, it's a $25,000 surcharge, and we're like, well, fuck, we don't have money like that. Can't even justify it, right? So then we were like, well, fuck it, we'll request motorcycles, which didn't exist, and even if they had, they wouldn't give them to 20th group guys. They were going to some, like, golden boy 7th group party <laughs> kids that are singing, like, you know, uh, like lip sync, uh, like Carly Rae Jepsen song somewhere with their shirts off. So instead, we worked out a deal where we rented dirt bikes bought off a local population from our turf because we can't buy things 
with the money we had. We had to rent it. So we rented these dirt bikes. So we rented 14 of them because we're like, oh, we don't need spare parts, like whatever. These bikes were called Durang 250s, which would lead you to believe that they are a very strapping 250 cc's of, you know, off-road motorcycle. Yeah, is a good off-road bike. Yeah, it's a four-stroke 250. Yeah. So, no, not at all. It's literally the most, like, anemic thing you've ever... Like, but the bad, like the, the quality of the bike was such that we had 14 bikes that we, we rented. It was essentially rent-to-own, you know, because we paid for the bikes in, like... 60 days. Right. We weren't allowed to own them, but we did. And these bikes, we initially took out like 10 at a time and we had four in reserve. We thought we were being super, super smart. Like we'll use those four bikes for spare parts. Like we'll just pirate things off of them as we go. Um, Within two weeks, like all the spare parts are gone. The, the other bikes have become the bikes we were riding because we're like, shit, we're just like ripping everything off. Like, so we're just gonna ride these new ones. None of the bikes had brakes. All the brake levers broke off. We were lucky. Like we, we would rig something for like the clutch lever. And the whole time, like every time you go out, it'd be like, all right, what's going to fall off now? You know, like everything fall apart is yeah, bad. It's uh, yeah. The first day I went through a puddle, like a big, like, uh, Puddles probably makes it sound too small, like a a small body of standing water. Uh, <laughs> a large puddle. Understood. Thanks. Yeah. And uh, it totally warped the rear drum. <laughs> so, so every time you use the brakes, it's just like shaking your ass? Well, we had to adjust the rear brake on my bike. Like all, you know, there's this little screw yep. on the back and we basically screwed it like all the way in and there still wasn't really like a good rear brake solution which is what led me to my minor high side going down the transfiguration was that you in the video that had the high side uh it wasn't a video but it was a picture yeah what's Um, the one where there's a girl crying from us yeah you sent me a video of a bike high siding in some like wooded area and then there was a lot of desperate like and i was like we brian and i were watching it and brian's like so you didn't think I'm going to put this on the internet? No, I think that may have been from one of the other groups. No, well, it, but, it uh, sounded very pitiful, and I felt awful for whatever man cried that way or any woman who was trapped underneath a 50cc monkey bike. We did, uh, the, one of the, well, my bike fell over on me once uh, when I followed David Delanave through this, like, big mud pile, <laughs> and there was there was another one on the other side, and I was like, all right, man, Dave's fucking going to fucking go for it, and it was uphill. So momentum was really important. So it was like, all right, he's going to go for it, and then he's going to fucking nail the next one. He went through the first one, and I was like, all right, fucking full throttle, and then he stopped. So I come through this thing, and I was like, oh, shit, and fucking kind of stopped. And she bike, just rear-ended him. Bike fell over on me. He was like, oh, my God, are you okay? I'm like, dude, this bike weighs like 90 pounds. Um, he was like, I'm really convinced. Like I was convinced I take bigger that- shits in this bike. <laughs> <laughs> I was convinced that the bike had like crushed your leg. Uh, I appreciate the concern, but in any event, uh, we had, a, we had a really good group and it was the type of thing where I think having a good group of people was really important because at the end of every day, everyone was tired. Everyone's asses were sore. Everyone's knees were sore or stiff. And, you know, if you had someone in the group that was just, uh, I would say, like, affected by that stress, 
and just threw a fucking tantrum or became an asshole because of it, it really would have ruined the trip. But all the guys that were part of the group, uh, hopefully myself included, were all like really team players and we had breakdowns. Like everyone was trying to pitch in to help out. Obviously, you know, like Stoney was the fucking key guy. He's a mechanic. He brought a small tool roll that had basically everything we needed to fix anything that happened to the bikes. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we had some issues. We picked up this, uh, this chick on day zero, um, a real asset I might add who, yeah, you know, by the truest definition of the term asset, she certainly was one from the sound of things. It's possible. Yeah. Uh, she was there by herself. She didn't have a plan like any type of route. And she'd never ridden a motorcycle before or driven like a manual transmission car. So David sees her just like struggling on the side of the road during the test day. And we kind of went back and forth. Looking back, I think maybe we were like a little too uh, cavalier uh, in terms of adopting know, her. We're the, we're the white knights. Um, but I, we were all really concerned. We were like, man, this chick's going to fucking get herself killed. Um you know, like riding down a highway and just fucking. That's swirling. the kind of thing that four white guys in an Eastern European country would say when confronted with a honeypot situation. <laughs> like, hey, what is this poor innocent Eastern European girl doing here? She's American. No, she's not. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I hope she listens to this podcast and knows that we've outed her, that her secret is not safe with us. We know that she is a tool of a an Eastern European government. David did ask her if she was a Ukrainian spy and she like didn't respond. But was uh, it because she was so mortified or because she'd been found out? I guess we'll never know. Yeah. Um in any event Stan McChrystal would have hooked up with her. <laughs> <laughs> um what would Stan do? That's what you need to remember. Stan the man he yeah. would have found out if she was a spy or not. He would have pulled the old James Bond treatment on you her. You know what? We got her up to speed and is that a uh, euphemism? No, I'm saying like <laughs> we got her to the point where she was really comfortable on the bike, and then you know we kind of split off then to, you ditched her. to finish the guy's trip. Yeah, but, right outside of a small <clears throat> town named Bratislava. <laughs> we it was cool, man. We got to see a lot of different parts of the country. You know, we rode about a thousand kilometers, maybe a little bit more. You guys rode significantly um, more than that because you took that giant detour at the beginning to go up your Top Gear Ultra. That wasn't Highway. at the beginning. That was in the middle. Oh, was um, it? Yeah. So, yeah, the Transfagarshan Pass, I believe I'm saying that correctly, Chuchesco's Folly, as it's known, uh, who was one of the, like, the communist dictator that got overthrown, built this beautiful road up into the mountains that really serves no purpose whatsoever. Kind of like Alaska. It was, uh, it sucked riding up it, basically the the last third of the the trip up it was in first gear with it just pinned open like I couldn't shift into second going about five miles an hour and uh was that when you were texting me yes i uh, love that you were literally like i'm so bored i'm like oh aren't you supposed to be riding a motorcycle like i am <laughs> <laughs> i'm like oh man this you going that slow man it's kind of like <clears throat> but that part of the so this this goes back to what I was saying before. There's two the shtick is these two things. One, the bike's gonna break down or whatever you're riding is gonna break down. And you're gonna need to work with like the locals to get it fixed. And that's part of the the interactiveness of the the adventure. The other part is that you're going on something that's like really slow. And so that has two aspects to it. One is that you're less likely to get hurt of your own accord. 
Um, you know, if you crash going fucking 15 miles an hour and you're only six inches off the ground, boop, boop, like, boop, doo, 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 doo. yeah, yep, exactly. You know, like everyone put a bike down at some point. And, the, but the other part of that is that you're forced to take like, you know, dirt roads. We took a lot of like horse trails and like forest service roads going through these like tiny villages instead of like sticking to, Hey, we're, you know, I mean, you could drive from where we started to the finish line and it would be, you know, if you did the straight route, it's like 300 kilometers or something you do in a car in a couple of hours. Um, <clears throat> but we ended up taking seven days to do it. So you got to see like a lot of cool parts of the country and you're going slow enough that like as the sole ambassador of American exceptionalism that most Romanian farmers will ever see. Do you think that they wonder why we're a world superpower after seeing four grown men on small motorcycles falling I, into mud puddles? I will have to, well, I'll say two things about that. <laughs> One is that I was really surprised by how awesome the drivers were to us in general. So I was really worried that people were going to be like, what the fuck is this? And, you know, just be like buzzing us or really just uh, being unsafe, you know, around us. Look at those poor um, drunk men. Yeah. That's what they figured, you know? And it was the exact opposite. People gave us plenty of space. I think, you know, for I can't speak to the other groups because I haven't really talked to them, but the four of us were all matching, uh, we're all wearing matching, you know, scorpion jackets from the movie Drive. And we had all of our luggage piled on the back of the bike. So it was clear that we were going somewhere we were on like some kind of trip and we got tons of people like you know pulling up next to us on the road like fuck yeah like we're you know like trying to give us high fives kids running out of their houses as we go through these village like trying to give us high fives um you know we'd get into like traffic circles i like, experienced that too cars after <clears> they <throat> give you high fives they go and dig bombs into the road well <laughs> fortunately i wasn't in that type of situation but you don't know that um, All of those kids were looking for your wallet, Aaron. They just they just wanted to steal your camera and your gold watch. I, I don't have a gold watch. Um, Not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but there was one farmer that was really pissed at us, and it was we took this road that, I don't even know, maybe it was a private road. It was listed as like a, a road on the map. Um, and it basically turned into his driveway, and on the other side of the driveway, it was just like his field. Um, and so as we rolled through, he comes out and he's like shaking his fist. His dogs are going fucking ballistic. I can't believe that I didn't get bit by one of his dogs. You and, should have uh, shot him. That would have sent a strong message. I didn't even know. <laughs> it was basically like, we're just going to drive through this guy's fucking cow pasture and try and make it to the road. As you could have gone Cain and Abel on his ass. Just picked up a rock. Done deed. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there was a need to How kill anyone. How dare he shake his fist at you? Does he not know who you are? Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, but uh, it was cool, man. Like, we had some breakdowns. We were able to fix everything. Uh, we had one major breakdown that luckily, uh, you know, David and Stoney are. What happened? So David's fuel pump failed. Oh, wait, and, you didn't tell me about this. I forgot. I yeah. Like, one, the one thing that I think that sucked about the bikes was that. The bikes were EFI, electronic fuel injection, instead of carburetor. You know so, that most people don't think that sucks. Well, it sucked for us because of the fact that there's like no other mopeds or scooters in the country that are EFI. They're all either like vacuum fuel pump, they don't have electric fuel pumps, or, um, you know, or they're like older carburetors. So like, <clears throat> you know, we show up trying to fix this fuel pump and it's like, 
alien technology. To Did the adventurers right? ship these bikes in from China mm-hmm. to every location? They're all brand new every race, right? Not all of them are brand new every race. Some of them are brand new. Some of them, like, so my bike had 1,200 kilometers on it when I picked it up. And that's pretty and close to new. According to the people that had done races before, you actually want the bikes, you want the older bikes because they've like kind of been tested, broken in, and, and like the parts that we're gonna break have been replaced. Yeah, and if they're like in good condition after twelve hundred kilometers, that means that like they're probably gonna ride longer. Yeah, like someone that like someone rode it for a trip and like didn't ride it hard. Okay, you know, like it. So here at the end of our trip, we had a broken clutch lever. Um, actually, we didn't break it. it was due to that uh, that girl we picked up. So for three days, David Delanave swapped his clutch lever with her. Did she finish the race, by the way? She did. You guys um, saw her at the finish line? We did. She had she latched herself onto another unassuming group of Americans? No. She just uh, finished on her own. She was just hanging out, man. Uh, David basically just pulled his shift lever to the side because it wasn't attached to anything to shift. And uh, then we replaced it with like a bike brake lever later when we found a bike shop. We had to like file it down, kind of like ream out the hole to make it fit. But, it's very um, MacGyverish of you guys. Did well, Stoney think of it? Stoney did think. Of it. <sighs> Stoney, Stoney's a man. He's a man of many talents. I just dude. love that dude, man. He's amazing. So he's great. Uh, Ryan Peters and I both blew front shock seals. Ryan blew one his on the left side, which is where the brake caliper is. So it's hydraulic disc front brakes. So his front brake was coated with shock oil. So for like the last day and a half, he like didn't really have a front brake that worked that well. Um, Did you tell him that this was a sure sign he needs to lose weight? (laughs) (laughs) And um, when that happened, his front fork also collapsed and got like jammed in the the low position. So he was like leaning forward. He had no suspension whatsoever. Uh, He was like, every time we stopped, he was like, man, shaking his wrist out like... Fucking did not look super comfortable. Yeah, what he deserved. Um, all of us had destroyed all the bushings in our rear swing arms and had basically like bent the like mounting tubes uh, or like oval ovalized. If yeah, that's yeah, the right yeah. word. Um, every time we went through a turn, like the whole rear end of the it's bike, like jumping just, around. Yeah, just like oh. kind of wiggly. Every time I, you know, I hit the throttle if it was uh, coasting. You know, just putting that extra tension on the chain. How did that affect the the, chains? Because there's not usually that much wiggle in a... We had a lot of slack in our chains. Did you? Uh, Yeah. Uh, In fact, David tightened his chain up, and his bike went like five kilometers an hour slower after he did it, so he had to loosen it back. Really? Yeah. Um, Yeah. I'm surprised none of the chains came off a sprocket at any point, but I guess... I am too. We hit that sweet spot. So, um, you know, we had a bunch of flat tires... And most um, people would say that this doesn't sound like a restful vacation. Hilariously enough, it was you one are, of the most fun things I've ever you're done. You're in a better mood coming back from this it than I've awesome. probably ever seen you in. Um, and you've been on some reasonably luxurious getaway vacations. It was great, man. It, I think that it was like it was kitschy, right? Yeah. Um, I don't, there were, I think, a lot of people beforehand they were like, man, you know, like this is going to be real. I'm like, it's not going to be hard. I didn't. I never looked at it as like, man, this is going to be this like epic grinder that I'm going to have to have the fortitude to see it through. I just thought you were um, going to have a lot of hemorrhoids when you got back. Um, my ass was definitely sore. Yeah, and if I would if I could do it again, Take I would definitely bring pillow. like a fucking yeah, something like a Tempur Pedic <laughs> like fucking memory foam pillow or, or something. Yeah. Um, 
which would also give you the the add a little bit of added height in the seat. Um, so I'm going to go out on a limb here. This was a great experience for you. Yeah, and I really want to do the Himalayan rickshaw. That's what you wanted to do to begin year. with, but you had to do an entry level race to do the Himalayan one, right? Yeah. So, man, it's great that you want to do that. I was not going that direction with this inquiry. I was going to ask you, in deference to Jack Wines, when are we going to have a Softleet Gambler 500 entry? You know what? On the way home, Stoney and I were talking about the Gambler 500. I want... So, we can go down another Stoney rabbit trail here. All right. Stoney brought this absolute piece of shit Plymouth Satellite. It's not a piece of shit no, after he got it done is, with it. It is a fucking work of art. It is a total piece of shit. It's not a piece of shit, man. <laughs> it is. It, it is. was a piece of shit before. Stoney, every single part of that thing that was beat up and broke down, Stoney turned into a a loving mark of of like actual character. I gotta see if I can find this picture, man. The stuff Check, that Stoney did dude, on the inside, like Stoney this did. This is this is the car that got us talking about the Gambler Five Hundred. Oh, turn look, it, turn it, at, turn it. Look at this build. Oh yeah, Jag baby, dude. Fucking, uh, fucking Jag on thirty threes, dude. I'm telling you. So the thing is, Stoney's with the fucking tunnel ram. Stoney's coming out the custom hood. Plymouth satellite thing is great. I've always wanted a Shaker Hood uh, Trans Am, mainly because Smoking the Bandit is the movie that gave me my sexuality as an adult male, you know, like I've just always wanted to go down the road, run from the cops and have a woman in a wedding dress, jump in and then compliment me on my mustache and then talk about her legs and how much she likes to have sex. When we move into a virtual reality world permanently, yeah. you'll be able to do that every day. Oh dude, it'll be me and Sally Fields running from the law. And she's pretty hot. Yeah, no, for sure. I'll call her, uh, I'll call her frog cause she's cute like a frog and I want to jump her. There you go. Um, but all of that, I, more practical applications of living life like the bandit are that Stoney's Plymouth Satellite with its 4BT motor was super cool to me. And I was like, man, how much you got in that? He's like, well, less than $10,000. I'm like, Canadian? And he's like, well, yeah. And yeah, I'm like, but that doesn't include the price for any of his labor. Right? No, I understand that. That's why you lean on friendships. <laughs> nah, Stoney, it's going to be a great project. People know who you are. They'll pay you what you deserve. The next person will. Not me, though, because I'm poor. And um, so he's been sending me pictures of all sorts of donor cars to do a project. But now Stoney is really speaking my language because he doesn't want to put a 4BT in it. He wants to put a 6BT. He wants to put like a straight up 24 valve Cummins with a like, you know, bored out fuel pump plate and basically like a four to 600 horsepower. 6BT shoehorned into like a Chevelle or a Trans Am. Gambler 500, man. Let's do it. Dude, it would be so rad. I would, having, a, having a 70s muscle car with a bro-dozer motor where I can black out the interstate when I'd step on the gas. Yeah. It's the most obnoxious, most mm -hmm. dug thing I could ever think of. We came upon a lot of rally cars over there also. for You know the gumball rally? Yeah. Rally? So this was part of the Gumbalkin rally. <laughs> Gumbalkin? And it's Prague. Do you uh, have to sacrifice your grandmother <laughs> before you start it? Maybe. Uh, but that looked like fun. I definitely, I want to do a lot more shit like this. And I fucking love this kind of like silly, Just so silly you know, travel. 24 hour of lemons yeah. is much more up my, my money funding alley than any of these other options where I'm like, man, Gambler 500 
that's a black hole. I could really make a shitty vehicle expensive with a lot of like yeah, random stuff. You could fucking come to Himalayas with us next year. I can't. I haven't done a short race. That's my good excuse. I'm sticking with it. Nah, you can come. <sighs> Why won't you come? Why don't you want to do it? I don't have a good excuse. It just seems none of you guys want to do the monkey. I know we I actively avoided it. And why? While, and while you were gone, but tell me, tell me why. I don't know. Well, at the time when you first booked the tickets, I was reasonably certain that I had a J set. I know, but that's not really the reason. No, 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 no. You're right. Uh, I mean, it, it was initially, but then as we got closer, I was like, man, I sure am glad I didn't do that thing. And then when I was watching you guys, I was like, so you and you were like, oh, I'm super glad we didn't have anybody who turned into an asshole by the fourth flat tire. I would have been intolerable. I would have been like, what the fuck? This is stupid. Where's a goddamn Uber in this country? I'm going to, I'm going to rent a mule and I'll keep up with you bitches. I don't believe that you would have done that. That's probably true. I don't know. It just seemed like. What were you guys thinking? Have you ever, have you ever contemplated what it would be like to have finger, having to have like uh, pens, like needles pushed underneath your fingernails? No. No, I think about it sometimes, and when I think about it, it seems like the next most tedious task would be riding a 50cc motorcycle a thousand kilometers across an Eastern European nation. Like, it just doesn't seem fun to me. Right. I, I mean, I will accept, based on your retelling, that perhaps my head is in the wrong place, and I don't know what real fun is. It takes me back to the days when I was in college and I wanted to be an off-road racer and had this like total piece of shit Bronco that Greg Higgs told you about. And it was, I mean, it was, it was a death trap. And I spent all the time working on it, changing things, trying to make it better. And then I would get it to a point where I was like, yes, we're somewhere. And I'd drive it on the street and blow a drive shaft or, and I'd be like, it's literally, I spent three years, four years of my young adult life working on vehicles, 10 to 12 hours a day for fun. And eight to 10 of those 10 to 12 hours a day were spent with me sounding something like this. You fucking prom bitch cunt whore. Why the fuck won't you do what I tell you to fucking do? I'm going to fucking burn this whole fucking thing to the ground. You know what? The reality is, though, that we didn't have that much mechanical trouble. We had the fuel pump issue, which was our biggest problem. Which I that sounds, it was ingenious what you guys figured out. David figured it out, man. He opened the case of the fuel pump. And uh, I mean, the fuel pump was this like rotary pump. And the return was like, it's in the sealed case. So it basically was like the fuel got returned into the case and then all got pushed out. Through was it one. clear glass or was it like a it was black plastic? A black plastic. <clears throat> and as a last ditch effort, we opened it up. Um, were the connect? Were the leads broken? <clears throat> the leads were broken. So he went to this dude's kitchen and fucking soldered the leads back together. And then we found a place that had plasti weld, and we plasti welded. I shouldn't say we. David plasti welded the the case closed. The place we were staying at had this like old wooden uh, vice. It was like part of this whole like farm equipment yeah. thing. And, uh, yeah, we fucking locked that thing on the vice for a little bit and threw it back on the bike and it worked. So other than that, I mean, the issues that we had, like, these are the kind of things you can expect from a man that knows how to make his own bread, (laughs) right? (laughs) You know, the fork issues happened towards the end. We weren't going to rebuild the forks, uh, the swing arm stuff, like nothing was falling apart. We did, we had to do a lot of retightening of stuff. Like every morning was a, a, I've seen the Instagram stories, the Instagram stories were predominantly you taking the back tires off your bike. (laughs) 
entirely to fix flats. Yeah, we have three flat tires. And was it only three? It felt like way more than that. It was three. Okay. Um, That's manageable. The first one on my bike, we changed the tube three times because we kept finding <laughs> holes. Um, but it was only three flat tires. So That's not so bad. Stoney had one, I had one, and David had one. But yeah, it like it wasn't bad. It wasn't mostly fixing stuff. I think you have to be into the ridiculousness of the adventure, right? Like it's not a race. You're not going that fast. You got to like the idea of hey, we're we're doing this on like the whole idea is really dumb. And I to be honest, I'm that. reasonably certain that asking me to go with you was like asking an altar boy to go to a priest conference. Like, sure, man, you're a grown up now. Nothing bad's gonna happen to you. It'll be fun. And he's just like, eh, I don't know. I don't. I don't want swim lessons in the vestry again. We'll see. I think you should come with us to the Himalayas if we do. Mm, we'll see. I am very hesitant to volunteer for anything anymore because last time I saw all my guys from Memorial Three Gun, they were like, "Woo, we got one slot left. Are you coming?" And I'm like, Ugh, "I want to. I want to see it. it. Sounds awesome." Like I stand by what I said before, but also. I'm a very busy person, and I have no idea if that weekend's open. And you asking me to look at my calendar is very inconveniencing to me. Telling my wife I'm going to another shooting match. That's... I understand. Well, we, uh, you guys were gone... It was about 10 days. What, uh, what day did you leave? 27th. Of June? Yeah, I got back on the 7th of July. Yeah, I... Um, when my birthday happened before you left that weekend, um, Kim was like, what are you going to do? I was like, well... We don't have any plans, do we? She's like, no. I'm like, cool. I'm going to go shoot the shooting match. It's like an hour away. Totally fun. I had a great time. Really, really good time. While I was there, one of my buddies, uh, James, was like, I'll see you tomorrow for the steel challenge match. I'm like, no, no, man. I get one a weekend if I come. Like, I'm not. He's like, no, I'll see you. It's, you know, it's 20 bucks. Totally worth the time. You should come down. It's real quick. And I'm like, all right, well. I'll see you later. I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> I'm like, shit. Like, so I go home and I'm like sitting around like, Hey, thanks for letting me spend my birthday doing things I like to do. I know you wanted to hang out or whatever, but, uh, I appreciate it. <clears throat> don't say anything. Don't say anything. Don't say anything. Next morning. I'm like, so what do you want to do today? Well, I don't have any plans. Well, do you want to go climbing or go for a trail run or like go hang out and do something? No, I don't really want to do that. So you don't want to do anything, huh? Nope. Just want to sit around the house. Well, I have to go pick up the kids and I haven't heard when. And I'm like, well, if you're not going to do anything, I'm going back to shoot another match. <laughs> and she was like, you're what? And I, then I got this like, like she wasn't even a dick about it. She's just like, you work five days a week. I would like to think that you're not just going to disappear two more days a week. I'm like, what? You just think this is going to last forever? Like there are two matches every weekend, just twice a month. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was fun, but also I, uh, I'm very careful about what I commit to going I just and doing. Need to guilt you into doing it. Oh, dude, you've guilted me into plenty of things, and I do it with a smile on my face. Where I'm like, oh, okay, well, then I have a fun <laughs> time. Don't get me wrong. I'm just. Uh, we'll see. It's a ways off. You almost got me with the whole. I'll pay for your entry. All you guys got to do is pay for your plane tickets, and I'm like, man, that's two thousand dollar proposition. I'm fucking out. <laughs> just. Not me, man. I'm out. Well, I think if we do it, we won't have a problem putting together a solid team. Uh, we'll just call it content this time. <laughs> yeah. 
Hashtag run that content. One, run that one by Brent. You're like, yeah. uh, I'm going to need to see a spreadsheet of everything you're doing per hour. <laughs> That's cool. Don't worry. Every single hour block is going to be changing tires. <laughs> nah. I don't think there'll be a lot of nails on the roads up there. That's actually a valid statement. I mean, I'm interested to well, see. Well, we got flats. We're riding through a construction site, <clears throat> riding through a logging yard behind a trash truck, and riding through a town behind uh, like some type of like metal recycling truck. So I recognize that these are not the same civilizations. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to pivot for a moment into a movie that Michaela guilted me into taking her to see that for some reason, I feel like I would be much more likely to relive in Romania than if I just kept my white bread American ass here in North Carolina. Hostel? Midsummer. I'm not familiar with it. So apparently the chick that directed it or wrote it or whatever is she did a movie called Heredity, or Hereditary, which was also very weird. I knew nothing about said movie, and after seeing Midsummer, I have no desire to know anything about it. I only know that it was somewhat popular. Um, Midsummer was about... It just started very um, emotionally, and it stayed weird and awkward the entire time. It's a horror movie, right? Um, I at no point felt scared. With their relationship in trouble, a young American couple traveled to a fabled Swedish midsummer festival where a seemingly pastoral paradise transforms into a sinister, dread-soaked nightmare as the locals reveal their terrifying agenda. What was their terrifying agenda? So let's just, since we're here, let's break this down like Cisco and Ebert, right? <laughs> like, uh, so their relationship is in trouble because this is a an, an emotionally damaged girl, um, which, you know, isn't rare. It's my, this is my wheelhouse. I, I was like, yes, this chick's super hot. Um, she was clearly questioning their relationship, and this guy's like all his buddies. It's they they paint them as very like masculine meat eater types, but they're all in some sort of graduate program for anthropology, which made me immediately like my willing suspension of doubt was was somewhat around. I was like, nope, I don't know if I can do this, but I'll watch. You know what I mean? I'm like, all these guys seem to be kind of like semi tough for anthropology PhD candidates. Um. She calls him too much. His friends are like giving him shit about not breaking up with her already. And then she calls him immediately back. And it is this bone chilling, screaming, crying thing. And then it cuts to like a very awkward scene of firefighters walking through a house where clearly her sister had a mental breakdown. This is the beginning. This is the very beginning of the movie. Um, these firefighters are walking through like this dull kind of uh, hazy house where her sister ran hoses from the exhaust pipes of both their cars, her parents' cars, I assume, in the garage, up into the house, taped off her parents' bedroom door, and then taped the hose from another exhaust pipe to her mouth and killed herself and this girl's parents, which is 
the the scene was sad. It was very. It was. I was like, wow. Like I messaged Kim. I was like, holy fuck. This thing started <laughs> off like this thing started off rough, right? And then, of course, these guys had been planning to take a trip to Sweden to go visit one of their anthropology fellows families and um, somehow the annoying uh, passive aggressive unwilling to break up with his emotionally damaged girlfriend guy invites her on their bro trip to Sweden where it turns out that um, the their their Swedish friend is unwilling to stop in Stockholm or enjoy any of the sights or scenery he wants to go see his family because he's a very family-oriented guy he's very kind and nice and inviting and they all do shrooms together and fucking uh it is a cult of all cults like they go into this village and there's like all this crazy pagan like warm but odd imagery very 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 pagan and Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of singing and like people doing ceremonies and like it just it just is very uncomfortable and there's lots of obvious foreshadowing about what they're about to get into. Lots of like paintings that everyone should have been concerned about. Also weird that it is 95% weird homogenous Swedish people who all look the same and act the same, who are all family, but aren't really family. They like, refer to each other as like brother and sister and like hug too long and fucking look into each other's eyes. I mean, what were the paintings? Um, they're like pictograms of like uh like it, the 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 cinematography was really good the the film itself was flawlessly executed the acting was even really good um but it's just so uncomfortable and if you had been there you would have looked at all the paintings and been like what the fuck I'm out of here they're all sleeping in like a common room like everyone has a bed and they're all lined up in the center area is a common space and there's like babies and they're crying at night and she's like, what the fuck is this? This is a goddamn Viking like (laughs) pillage hall. Right. And, um, the paintings are like, you know, like a girl cutting her wrists and like the blood trickling down. It's fairly like pagan rituals type shit. And all these anthropologists are like, in the middle of their wet dream because it's like, oh, this is such an interesting population of people. It's the 21st century. How do people still act like this? And there's like sheets with stories on them that they've painted. And like the sheets are like, like it's a love story of some girl who's in love with a guy who doesn't recognize that he's, that she's in love with him. And so she tricks him. Like she casts a spell on him by putting like a rune stick under his bed. And then she cuts some of her pubes off and mixes them into a pie for him and then puts her period blood in his drink. Which then happens. This is all depicted on a sheet. Oh, it's on a yeah, like a a white sheet. They like painted a. It's it feels like um kind of like a Christian iconology from like the what twelfth century or something. Yeah, time frame, but pagan, not Christian. Um, and then it all. It all starts to trickle down because all these dumb Western, like all these dumb Americans and Brits that got invited to come hang out with this weird Swedish cult that all wear like white robes and shit. Um, and they're all in regular like street clothes, hanging out, like observing all of these like sacred rituals and stuff. And I'm like, y'all motherfuckers are dumb as shit. You know what I mean? Like these people are going to eat each other. Like it's like obvious, right? And um, it's this whole midsummer festival that they do. And at a certain point, they go to this giant cliff and these two old people who they've honored at dinner just fucking cut their own wrists and then walk off a cliff. The first chick 
It's like dragged across concrete. It's like the seven-year-old woman jumps and her fucking head just implodes like a wax bubble, right? And she's dead and it's all good. The 72-year-old man walks up and at this point- 70 or 17? 72. Because right. 72 is the end of your life cycle in pagan culture because they believe in, like in the movie at least, it's like you have sections of your life. There's like spring- um, summer, fall, winter, right? And right. like there's these windows. But when you're done, like when winter is over, you self-select. Like you're sacrificing yourself. But obviously, old girl, she jumped off this cliff and hit this big rock and like she's fucked up. She's done. Old boy, 72-year-old dude, he walks out singing his like death song or whatever with his slit wrists and jumps off the fucking cliff and like does a little bit too much of a fucking endo and just crunches his legs. And he's like laying there with these like shattered compound fractures on the ground, kind of making this mewing noise like one does when you're close to death. And this very pleasant Swedish dude walks up with this giant wooden hammer and just fucking domes him. Wow. Oh yeah. You're like, but all the Americans are watching this and they're like, Oh my God. You guys are fucking what the fuck, you know? And you're like, I'm watching. I'm like, wait, you didn't see this coming? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. y'all, and you think it's over? Like, so they're like throwing a fit, and I'm like, how are you gonna get out of here? You know, like, and they, to their credit, the homogenous culture does a very good job of of quote like literally whitewashing the departure of a bunch of more problematic individuals. Oh no no, they took the truck to the train by themselves. They are gone. They did not leave without you. I do not know why. You know, and you're like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, no, don't <laughs> believe that story for a second. And um, needless to say, the dipshit boyfriend of the emotionally damaged girl is targeted as the outside genetic, like the reproductive guy, right? Like he's a dude that's going to fuck one of their, because they're very worried about inbreeding. They have to bring outside blood in to enrich their culture. So they have him fuck one of their worthy virgin chicks which is super weird because there's a bunch of like old ladies naked that are like watching while it's happening, but he's cheating on his girlfriend. He does this like, you know, it's like very guilt ridden. He has to take some acid to make it happen. And this culture is very emotive. So like when someone feels pain, they all feel pain together. So like if you're like screaming, everyone screams with you. So like when he's fucking this chick uh, and she starts to like make a lot of noises, all these old women are like, ah. Uh, so there's like 20 old women watching this dude bang this chick and he's having an acid trip Man, and like they're oh. making oh bro I'm telling you <clears throat> intense discomfort the All entire right. movie so what happens do they fucking die or what so everyone but the emotionally damaged chick dies uh, she Does she become part of the she cult? dances with them and becomes their May Queen totally by accident and they crown her the May Queen and then there are nine sacrifices that they have to make to the gods um, for everything that happens well it just so happens that I guess six people have already been killed and those people are put into this like special building that they're you know making their sacrifice in and then two people from the town volunteer like that's like their honor that they get to go in there and then they have to pick one more person and so it's someone who they pick from a lottery <laughs> it's like old school would like lottery Dude, this box. town has to be pretty big if you fucking kill nine people a year uh, in, a, so they, in like they, a ritual killing they don't live there it's only a retreat it's like a farm area they all live in regular population they're all normal regular people that walk around with you every day educated 
like first world people, they come up there, the, their cult family, that no one lives there full time. It's like they all come together there for a midsummer festival. Wow. And so this guy who's the PhD student with them, he, their people in the real world, they were actively recruiting people to come in for sacrifices. So they really only sacrificed four people from their own town. Uh, to the older people, it's like it would have had to happen because the life cycle's over. Like essentially yeah, yeah. for them, after seventy two, you're you'd kill yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then two other people who volunteered, and it was a great honor for them. And uh, then, of course, there's the guy that won the lottery or lost, if you ask me. And then her boyfriend, who like I guess tried to run away, and they like caught him and paralyzed him. It's like rad because like there's this whole blackout thing, and there's one girl like you see her like. It's like from his perspective, she like opens his eyelids and she's like, hello, Peter, you cannot talk. You cannot move. Okay. Just stay there. (laughs) And he's like in a wheelchair and they like wheel him around with a dude who won the lottery and the May queen, who's like this chick dressed up in all these flowers who, who knows that he cheated on her and fucked this other chick, you know, at the behest of the people literally just like faced with the like, well, who do we pick for the great honor of being sacrificed to the gods? Obviously beware the wrath of a woman scorned right and then there's this like reasonably lengthy scene of them taking a bear like a grown live bear that they have killed and they clean the bear and take all of his intestines out and then they put the boyfriend the paralyzed boyfriend inside the bear because like you have to sacrifice a bear is like one of their things but they put a person inside this bear suit. seems totally fucking complicated man bro it was overwrought and long and slow and drawn out and it two hours and 27 minutes oh dude i'm telling you i was texting him during the movie going i don't know i was like i feel like i'm gonna walk out how did this get 83 percent on rotten tomatoes it is visually stunning and this chick who has never been happy the entire movie i'm gonna ruin it Entirely for everyone. Go for it, because I'm definitely never going to fucking see this. The the boyfriend in the bear suit and all these other people that are like, you know, being sacrificed in a funeral pyre to the gods. He's just sitting there. He's paralyzed. Can't make any noises. The camera's on him. And he's like in there, just like flames engulfing his bear suit as he burns to death, spited by his, you know, like... What's up with this weird fucking sloth looking chick? Uh, okay, so that's the, uh, that is the, it's not a muse. It's like, so they, they keep a history. They have like a, a log. It's not a sloth chick. She's a, she's a product of inbreeding and she's there. I'm looking through the Google images here. Oh yeah. But see, the, so the chick, so that she's just like around, uh, they actually inbreed specifically for the muses. Cause like the whole time they're like, oh, we don't inbreed. Uh, we, we follow the mores, you know, of inbreeding. We respect them. But then the other guy's like, no, we bring, we, we inbreed on purpose for the one we want to, we want to have one very deformed, weird looking person to be our, like, it's not a muse. It's the, what is it? Um, what do you call it in Sparta where there's like the, uh, the gases come up and like the women dance and tell the future. What is that? Like an oracle? Oracle. Yes, that's the one. That's their oracle. But either way, this chick, the hot one, right? She doesn't smile the entire fucking movie. She's tortured there. That's the art right there like that. Fucking kind of gruesome, right? Yeah, man. Uh, So like, (laughs) I told you, fucking big ass hammer, right? So she's not smiled the whole movie. As he's burning up, 
And as there's like all this like screaming coming from inside the funeral pyre from the other two people that are in there and stuff, the closing scene of the movie is her tortured tear face fucking dissolving into a straight face and then turning into a very pleased and happy and contented smile as she realizes that she's finally found a family that accepts her no matter who she is. Fuck that shit, man. Fuck Bro. that shit. Bro. Good for her. <laughs> <laughs> I'll stick to Die Hard. Oh, it was bad. Um, I mean, I literally, I, I was Who'd like, you go see this with? With Michaela and her boyfriend. Yeah. They wanted to see it, man. And I was like, oh, sure, I'll take you to a movie. This is what happens when you have a 17-year-old. Like, they're like, like I want to go see this movie. And then I realized, like, well, it's like, well, I'll just give you money to go see it. And and then I'm like, so she's she's almost 17, so she can't get an R-rated movie. And then and I'm like, here, just take money. And I'm like, wait, is it R-rated? And she's like, yes. I was like, well, then just sneak in. And she's like, what if we go and we buy tickets and we can't sneak in and they cook us out? And I'm like, ugh, that's a valid point. You don't have to fucking watch the movie with them, man. You could buy the tickets. Even and then go, just sit in the lobby? Go fucking see a different movie. Mm. We also went to a very, very, very subpar movie theater. It was, it had burned popcorn. The nachos were cold cheese with chips in a bag. All the drinks were out in the dispenser. There were I'm, no lids. I'm going to change the subject for a minute before we, we wrap this up. When I first moved to Chicago, I was living in a gentrifying neighborhood if you want to call it that so a poor neighborhood yep yes and my parents came down to visit me and we were going to dinners i don't know we were, we were doing something during the week and they were running late because of traffic there was a wendy's a couple blocks from my house I was like let's just run to this wendy's and get a quick dinner and my mom you know probably wearing like a, a fur coat like very Dressed up as a, you know, white suburban woman. We walk into this Wendy's and my dad orders and then I order and my mom's like, I have a question for you. Um, what kind of cheese do you put on the baked potatoes? Greatest fucking answer ever. Woman looks at her with a straight face and she's like, melted cheese. And I was like, you know what? You ask a fucking question like that. That's the answer you deserve. Scout calls so. that flat cheese. <clears throat> she goes, she goes, um, he's like, what do you, what kind of cheese do you want? Your grilled cheese, the flat kind. And you're like, <laughs> I get it. <laughs> <laughs> I got the answer I was looking for. Yep. Noted. Okay. <laughs> totally, man. I think this was like the pump cheese. Mm. Although in Chicago, I will say they have this, uh, I think it's like a regional thing, you know, um, They've got this like scoopable, spreadable cheddar. I've never seen it anywhere else. It's not the consistency Is of it like shelf stable stuff. It's warm. They keep it warm. Um, so it's just Velveeta in a warming. Prob thing. Probably, yeah. yeah. Shelf stable, delicious. It's the best thing anyone's ever invented. You don't have to worry about it going bad or getting mold on it. You don't have to keep it in a refrigerator. It's kind of gritty. Yeah, it's what won the war against the Germans. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of random things relating to World War II, Kim and I were driving to go pick up Scout from our our uh, old neighbors, Kim's best friend, um, their parents' house. 
And on the way there, there's a billboard on the side of the road that like talks about what the lottery's at. And it was like $34 million or something, which the inevitable conversation is like, how much of that do you get to keep? And, you know, like this migrants and Kim being like, if I won that much money, I would pay off all my debt, which is not very much. <laughs> Let's just say that like, that would be the last thing I'd think about if I was like, oh yeah, I just stumbled into like $10 million, you know, like, uh, oh, let me pay off this $30,000 in debt. Like, of course, duh. Why are you mentioning that? You know what I mean? Like student loans gone forever. I'm so happy. That's, that is my practical wife. And then she's like, and then I'd buy, I'd buy a house for all of our families. And then I would buy a vacation house somewhere because I, and I'm like, just use that money to travel wherever you want or rent a place. No, no. I want a vacation house. It means something to me. I'm like, all right, cool. You know, like I'm listening to her talk about all these like practical things that she's going to do that are in her mind extravagant in nature. Mm -hmm. And then I'll invest the rest. You know, like that's how it goes. I'll invest the rest. And she's like, what would you do? And I was like, I don't really know. And like five miles later, we're passing a rural airport. And um, I was like, you know, I was like, one day, I think I'm gonna get my pilot's license. You know, it's just for fun. It'd be cool. It's like a thing when I have less to do and I can dedicate some time and money to that. Yeah. But you know, the real problem is that planes are just too fucking, I know what I'd do if I won the fucking lottery. And she's like, what would you do? And I was like, I'd buy matching P-51 Mustangs. <laughs> and Brian and I, she's like, what are those? I'm like, they're World War II fighter planes. They're fucking awesome. And I was like, I would buy matching ones, one for me and one for Brian. And we would fly them to the local town where we get coffee in the mornings as old men. And we would land them on Main Street. And then we would get out and we would get our coffee. And then we'd get back in our fighter planes. And we would go and have fake dog fights over my property. And Kim is looking at me with horror. And she's like, well... How much are those planes? They're like $4 million a piece. And I'd build a runway on my property and I'd just be able to take them off whenever I wanted and do whatever I wanted with them. And she was just like, why does your million dollar fantasy involve you and Brian playing at World War II fighter pilots? <laughs> and I was like, shut up. It's the best dream ever. And I called Brian. He was like, oh my God, this sounds great. I'm like, exactly. Coolest thing ever. Joe said that, uh, I guess it's not common, but not uncommon a bunch of pilots like go in together and buy like a p-51 mustang is like a retirement thing and they get to fly it it says everything i've ever, like i don't i don't know shit about planes except what i learned when i was a kid when i wanted to be in the air force mm -hmm. before my nuts dropped and i turned into a real man um i've always thought that p-51s were fucking awesome and there's a variety of other world war ii planes i also think are cool yeah but like for some reason you never see jet pilots going out of their way to buy like an F4U Corsair or like, you know what I mean? They're like, right. like I'm going to get this super cool Japanese Zero. <laughs> no, every single one of those dudes that flew the cutting edge fighter jet is like, I want a P-51 Mustang. Yeah, and man. like every one of them is like, is the best plane I ever flew. Like I saw... I saw the most masturbation-worthy video ever on the internet the other day, which was some dudes in a P-51 Mustang f filming with their cell phone an F-22 Raptor oh, yeah. flying right I, next to I him. I saw that. Combat Learjet. Oh, dude. Combat Learjet posted yeah. it. Yeah, for sure. That So many good videos on that guy's Instagram account, but I, was, I watched it over and over and over. He's like, hey, dude, like this is the apex of cool. It's pretty rad. To man. have a guy in an F-22 Raptor who's like, yeah, I'm just going to slow this thing down enough to hang out with a P-51. Like, and I bet that that Raptor pilot wished that he was in the fucking Mustang. Maybe. Well, going back to the lottery thing, it's like the 
the age old question, you know, if you choose between like any supercar and world peace, like what color would the Lamborghini be? <laughs> it's a true story. I would spend $8 million on prostitutes and cocaine and I would waste the rest. <laughs> With that, I think we got to wrap it up, man. Uh, this bottom of the barrel. Was Another, I can't believe how much time we spent talking about that fucking midsummer, <laughs> midsummer. movie, man. I, this, Very thorough description. This, this uh podcast which started out oddly focused on a legitimate event eventually digressed into what we normally do perfect talking about shitty movies and our fantasies if we ever get 10 million dollars i'd have it no other way yeah well i'll be to zane 